this morning on your outline. If you grabbed an outline on your way in or if you're looking at the Three Crosses app right now, you'll see that we're going to cover a lot of ground in the book of Job. Most of the book of Job is his conversations with his friends. Um, and yet, as we dive in, let's, let's take a look at kind of what sets the scene for this conversation with Job's, friend, which, with Job's friends, which is Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. What we're going to spend the most of our time doing this morning is talking about what lessons we can learn from the ministry that Job's friends tried to bring to Job. But I want us to start by looking at how it started. So if you're reading in the app or on your phone or in your Bible, we are in Job 2. We're going to read verses 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever found yourself standing on the outside of a door that you did not want to walk through? It's a hospital door. Your best friend's on the other side or your mom's on the other side. And you know the moment you turn that handle and walk into there, you're going to step into a scene where God has called you to bring comfort and and hope and care. And you love that person on the other side of that door, but you have no idea what you're going to say when you get to the other side. You get a text from your buddy that his wife left him. Just left him. She's gone. He got home from work and the house was empty. And so you get in your car and you drive over there and you park across the street and you're about to get out of your car and you grab the door handle and you're thinking, I don't want to get out of this car. <laughs> I know there's chaos inside that house. I know there's misery inside that house. I know there's a ministry for me to take into that house, but I have no idea how to do it. That's why I just want to sit in this car and... <laughs> Pray that God just fixes it or something. <laughs> Sometimes when God calls us to provide care, we realize that we are underqualified, unqualified for the task that he has put in front of us. And the truth is we love the person on the other side of the door. We know that they called on us because they love us. Yet sometimes we show up at that place and we know that we have no idea what to say. I wasn't trained for this. I'm not Pastor Larry. What do I do in this moment? We catch a little glimpse of this in the story of Job and his friends where they, they come and they sit with him for seven days and seven nights. Now, we don't know for sure why they didn't talk for seven days. This text doesn't tell us. And maybe that was part of the morning ritual, right? They see him and they act like he's a dead person, right? They tear their clothes. They're throwing ashes on their heads like we see in the Bible connected with mourning. And so maybe they were going through these seven days of mourning before moving on with an application or something. And maybe they didn't know what to say. 
Maybe Joe's, the place that Job was was a place where they realized it wasn't time to speak into his situation yet, and so they merely sat there. They wanted to bring comfort to him, Job 2 says. They wanted to bring ministry to him, the text says. And so they come and they sit. And it's this beautiful scene where his friends, his close friends, just spend a week sitting there in the dust with their suffering friends. And then they open their mouth. Now, sometimes things get awkward when we open our mouths. <laughs> the book of Job was, was a hard book, but a beautiful book, until they open their mouths. And if you you've ever read the book of Job, you know that it's 42 chapters long. And, and we just read chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And so we've got 40 chapters ahead of us of the friends just trying to give Job encouragement with their mouths and Job not having it and them trying more words and him not having it and them trying more words and him not having it and getting to the place where both sides are yelling out by like chapter 30, when will you stop your insane speeches, right? They say to Job, will your miserable speeches ever end? And Job responds, will your miserable speeches ever end? Zero to 60 in 40 chapters, right? And these friends who came to bring comfort and sympathy and empathy and help and ministry to their suffering friend are by chapter 35 in this shouting match. Like, they, I just picture them having him in a headlock saying, confess your sins to God, Job. Yeah, we laugh because it's funny. And we laugh because we've been there. <laughs> Maybe you've been there this week. You sat down with somebody and said, you know what, I want to talk to you a little bit about the way things are going in this world and kind of get your perspective. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, like, you feel like, are we still friends? Man? What just happened here? You sit down with someone and try to reconcile a relationship. Like, you know what? I think God has called us to kind of bury the hatchet. And like three minutes in, you're like, this is not a burying the hatchet meeting, right? This has is, this is made it worse. What has happened here? You show up and you try to bring comfort to somebody, saying, hey, God's got a plan right there. What did you just say? Like, God's got a plan. It's like, I don't want to hear that God has a plan. I didn't mean to say that God has a plan. I just don't know what to say, right? And we've had that happen where we... We're doing a great job serving our friend until we open our mouth. And now you're realizing that it probably would have been better for you to stay in the car. Probably would have been better to take that little name tag from the hospital off and throw it in the garbage can and just kind of walk and go back down the elevator and back to the parking lot because when we start to use our words to minister to people who are suffering, we put our foot in our mouth. And so this morning, we've spent, a, we've spent a lot of time in this series so far talking about Job's perspective and what it feels like to suffer. This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be the friend of someone who's suffering. We do not like to suffer. Suffering is terrible and hard, but probably most of the time in life, we end up being friends with people who are suffering more than we're going through suffering. When you're going through a hard time, all your friends come and they're trying to help, right? A lot of times, we're the friends who are coming to help. And so we're going to look probably mostly at what not to do from, from what Job's friends did and what Job's friends said in their conversation with him. 
just for the sake of an image, I, I would love for us to picture Job in, in this book as a man who is languishing in prison for a crime he did not commit. That's the vibe that I get as I read Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. That Job has done nothing wrong. God makes that extremely clear. He's done nothing wrong, and yet one day he gets picked up by the authorities, taken to an interrogation room, beaten, right? His family's taken, his business tanks, his kids are killed, right? And now he's thrown into this dungeon, the door is locked behind him, he's in the darkness, no food, no water, his body starts wasting away, and he's laying on the ground, wishing he was dead, but has one thought on his mind. From his cell, Job is thinking, if I could just get to God the judge and make my case, he will know that I am innocent and he will exonerate me of these charges. So as Job is laying there in his prison cell in the darkness, here's a knock. Job, you have some visitors. And he comes out of the cell and sits down behind this metal table on a metal chair under a light and there's four figures there. As his eyes adjust, he realizes it's his friends, Eliphaz and Bildad, Elihu, and the other guy. What's his name? <laughs> Zophar. It's a common name. How did I forget that? Zophar. <laughs> And they see Job in his state. He has lost a lot of weight. His beard is just, he is sick. He's covered in filth. He's gave him a little like thing to wear around his waist and he's just wasting away. And they can't say a word. A week they just sit there. They can't say a word. As that week draws to a close, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and Elihu realize at some point, we're going to have to say something to this guy. Have <laughs> you ever been in a situation where you're driving to the hospital to visit someone, or you're driving to the home of your friend whose wife has left him, or you're, you're on your way to that moment where you know God has called you to provide care? You're probably thinking, I'm going to have to say something when I get there. What's it going to be? You ever had that happen to you? You're kind of rehearsing this. Okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to hug him. Um, that's all I got. I'm going to go in. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to say, I'm sorry for your loss. That seems like a good thing to say, right? And, and then the thought that comes into your mind, if you're like me, is, jeez, oh, I'm terrible at this. What would Pastor Larry do? Right? <laughs> I've talked to a lot of you who've said this, right? You show up and you're like, I didn't know what to say. So I just thought, what would Pastor Larry do if he went to a hospital? He's probably good at it, right? You've never been to a hospital with Pastor Larry before, but you imagine that he's got a Bible. You imagine he says the perfect thing. Right? He's a pro. He's going to pray for them. He's going to probably read something. Right? So you're picturing Pastor Larry, and you're thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse. I need to find the verse. Right? I'm going I'm to find some words to say. What are those words going to say? I'm going to pray. If all else fails, I'm just going to punt, and I'm going to pray. Right? Because that's what Pastor Larry would do. And I think in these situations, a lot of times as we wrestle with how to speak and what to say, the question in our mind is, what hat am I supposed to wear when I go into this conversation? I put on my Pastor Larry hat. Stop by the gift shop and buy a Bible and try to figure out what to read from it. As I, as I read through this story and read through the massive amount of texts, these insane amount of arguments in Job chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and dot, 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 40 and 41, I see Job's friends trying on all these different hats in their relationship to Job. I see Eliphaz start by putting on the pastor hat. 
trying to come alongside Job. Eliphaz, like a pastor says in, in 5.8, I would appeal to God, Job. I would lay my cause before him. Let's try on the pastor hat. Does that work? Job's like, no, no, I'm not going to appeal to God. I'm innocent, right? And so then Bildad comes out and takes off the Eliphaz's pastor hat and says, no, let's bring on our theologian hat. Right, let's, let's talk theology, Job. How long will you say such things? Does God pervert justice, Job? Let's think about justice and evil and righteousness, Job. Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Job, I'm going to wear my theologian hat, and we're going to get to the bottom of this theological issue you're having, right? And Job responds, like, whoop, that hat didn't work. So then Bild, or Zophar comes out, and he puts on his God hat. Oh, how I wish that God would speak that he would open his lips against you. And then he continues to say, okay, God's not speaking, but let me tell you what God would say if he was speaking now. Just a quick tip. Don't put on the God hat. That's not you, right? <laughs> Pastor, sure. Theologian, sure. God hat. It's not working. None of these hats are working. And so they keep circling and circling and circling. And finally, they get to a point where they start putting on the confronter hat. Kind of the... They all jump into this, but Eliphaz says at one point in chapter 22, Job, is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? Job, you were a rich man. How much did you really do for the poor, Eliphaz says. Job, you say you're righteous. Look at your kids. Is that a righteous man's children, Job? And over these chapters, right, the pastor hat doesn't work, the theologian, theologian hat doesn't work, the God hat doesn't work, the confronter hat comes on, and by the end of it, they're just screaming at him, saying, confess, Job, confess. That's not what you want a care ministry visit to look like. <laughs> I try on these hats and... They keep spinning. And you know what I picture? I picture Job comes out of this jail cell and he's at the metal table and his friends are sitting there and he thinks, oh wow, my friends are here to comfort me. But over the course of these like 40 chapters, he starts realizing his friends aren't there to comfort him. His friends are there to interrogate him. Right? It's like we got good cop, kind of, and bad cop, and worst cop, and worst cop. Right? And they're, they're playing the routine. And Eliphaz comes out and says, Job, 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 I see that you're suffering here. Wow, it sounds like you think that you were unjustly imprisoned. Wow, Job, you know what? I think the best thing to do is just confess. Confess to God. Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. What do you mean confess? It's like, just, just, just hear me out. Just confess whatever you did do, and we'll just pray that it all turns out okay. Job's like, I'm not confessing. I didn't do anything wrong. And Bildad comes out and says, Job, 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 Job. You didn't do anything wrong, seriously? Are you saying you're perfect? Is anyone really perfect, Job? Are you saying that it's God's fault this calamity fell upon you? Job, I think you're a little more guilty than you're letting on. Why don't you just sign this confession? And we'll just pretend like none of this ever happened. Job's like, oh, I'm not signing a confession, right? I thought you were my friends, right? And then Zophar comes out. It's like, you want to talk about this, Job? Right? Kicks the chair over. <laughs> Job, you're a sinner. We know it. We got dirt on you. We know what you did. Why don't you just tell us? We know it. We know it. We've got sources, Job. We've seen your sin. We've seen it with our own eyes. So you're going to tell God what you did or we will. That's not what you want your friends to do when they come and visit you in prison. Right? And I think a lot of times when we get in those conversations with folks and we're trying to help and then it turns into this, that's how they feel. It's, why are you turning on me? I'm the one suffering. 
Why are you my interrogator? Why are you trying to get me to sign a confession? Why are you trying to push me to just be my friend? What are you doing? Job eventually gets to the point that he says in in chapter uh, 16, he says, miserable comforters are you all. You guys are terrible at this. (laughs) You came to bring comfort? We could read back in chapter 2 again. They went to sympathize with him and comfort him. Joe says, well, you guys stink at that. You're the worst. Have you ever been in a conversation that went south like that? You know that this actually happens. Kid comes home from school and he just looks down. You say, what? what's going on? He's like, oh, nothing. Come on, what's going on? You follow him into his room, sit on his bed. It's like, oh, my girlfriend dumped me. And you're really good for like 15 seconds, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. And you start putting on your mom hat, right? <laughs> I mean, I told you you shouldn't date that girl. <laughs> when your hand was on the door handle, you thought, I'm going to go in and comfort my son. But as the door slams behind you when you walk out of it, you realize, I didn't do a very good job of comforting my son. I get it. These guys didn't know what to say. The pastor hat didn't work. The theologian hat didn't work. The God hat didn't work. The confronter hat didn't work. The accuser hat didn't work. None of the hats worked. You know what hat they never tried on, though? The friend hat. If you want to have fun this week, read through the book of Job and look for places that they're acting like good friends to him. They aren't. And and you can hear out in the heart of Job as they're bringing all these words to him that all he wants is for a friend to be a friend to him at that time. When they're accusing him, he's coming back and saying, why are you accusing me? I just want you to sit with me. Right Right after he calls them miserable miserable comforters, Job says, if you were in my my place, my mouth would encourage you. I just wanted you to come and encourage me. I just wanted you to come and sympathize with me. I just wanted you to come and sit with me. I didn't, I didn't want you to come and try to kick over my interrogation chair and try to make me to sign a confession or something. If all these approaches fail, or maybe if you just want to skip all the hats and go right to the friend hat, put on the friend hat when your friend needs a friend. I think a lot of times we're really worried about saying, we want to say the right thing. This is a sacred moment, right? We want to speak for God or or serve our friends or be their pastor. But they didn't call you to come to their house because they wanted their pastor, because they would have called me, right? They called you first because they wanted their friend to come over. At some point, they're going to want to talk to a pastor. But they call their friend first. Because people generally need a friend before they need theological advice. People generally need a relational comfort before they need a professional comforter. Hey, there's a time and a place to be a pastor, even as a friend, and there's a time and a place to be a theologian, right? If you're a mom, there's a time and a place to be a mom and wear the mom hat, but it's probably not in the first 15 seconds after your son gets dumped. Even if you're a mom, put on your friend hat first, your comforter hat first, and put on your confrontation hat later. 
That's what Job's soul is crying out for. And you know what? As we read the whole book, we realize that Job had done nothing wrong. So all their hats they were wearing and attempts to serve Job were all fruitless and vain because he hadn't sinned. There was nothing to confess to. The book of Job is a really long book to read, and I was daydreaming this week about how much shorter and easier to read it would be if his friends just acted like friends. Because we're like two chapters in when the friends show up, and then we have 40 chapters of insanity. Just picture his friends showing up, and they sit there in the dirt with him for seven days and seven nights, and then Job speaks up and says, I just want to die. This is terrible. I hate this. I hate everything about my circumstance, and Imagine what if Eliphaz came out and said, Job, we're so sorry. You're going through a lot, Job, and is there anything we can do to help? And Job's like, no, there's nothing you can do to help? Like, I'm, well, well, how can you help me? I've got nothing. And Bildad comes out and says, Job, I know, I know. And we just want you to know that we're here for you. We love you, Job. Oh, Job, can we pray for you right now? No, you, you can't pray for me. What, what are you going to say to God that I haven't already said to God? And so far says, you know what, Job, you're right. As hard as it is to hear, we do want to let you know that we, we are all praying for you. And we're going to get out of your hair. We'll be back tomorrow. And if you want to talk, we can talk. If not, we can just sit here some more. We just want to be with you because we love you and we want to be here for you as you walk through this. We wish that we could do something to help. We know we can't. Job, we'll see you tomorrow. And then it would say like, and Job was comforted by his friends. <laughs> and then he got better and God gave him stuff again or something. That would be, be a pretty cool book. I think the reason the book of Job is so long, and this isn't in the Bible, this is me just saying this. I think the reason the book of Job is so long is because God wants to remind us how insane our conversations sound and how tiring they are and terrible they are to the person who is suffering when we have those long, terrible conversations. And there's not a lot of lessons we can learn what to do from these guys in the book of Job, but I was thinking, okay, what are some things that we cannot do? What are some lessons we can learn from Job's friends? I just wrote a few. You can write these down before we head out this morning. I think when we've got a friend who is suffering, one thing to keep on our minds is that we should be slow to speak. I love how they just sat there for seven days. You don't have to know what to say. Just be there. There's that ministry. Larry talks about this all the time, that ministry of presence. Be there with them. Likewise, be slow to solve. And these guys jumped into solutions super quick, and it just went sideways. Be slow to solve their problems in those conversations. Be slow to spiritualize. And we want to bring an encouraging word, a word from the scriptures, a perspective from God, but Sometimes we over-spiritualize stuff way too quickly and it gets us into trouble when we start just bringing spiritual platitudes because we feel like they sound good. There's a time and a place to bring the word and a time and a place to pray and a time and a place to give God's perspective, but there's also a time and a place to just be there for someone. One lesson we can learn is to, don't take, to not take things personally. Now, this conversation really takes a turn for the worse in the book of Job when his friends start feeling personally attacked by Job's words. Like he's lashing out at God and they feel like he's lashing out at them. And they're saying, at one point they say, your words, your words are cutting me. And so I'm going to say this to you, right? Don't take it personally. They're just suffering. And lastly, remember why you're there. You're the first one on the scene when your friend's wife leaves him because he wants a friend. 
Not because he wants his counselor, not because he wants his pastor, not because he wants God to show up and tell him that everything, but he wants his friend. So be a friend when someone calls on you to be a friend. I think of Jesus when he walked the earth. He, he wore all those hats that we talked about. Jesus was a shepherd. He was a pastor. He was a theologian. He was God. He can wear the God hat like we can't, right? He was God. He confronted sins, and he also wore the friend hat. He got this label, friend of sinner. I think of John chapter 8 when Jesus finds that woman who's pulled out of her house in the act of adultery and all the religious leaders want to stone her and kill her and they call on Jesus because they want to trap him in that moment, right? And she was sinning, she was guilty, she was caught. So Jesus could have put on his God hat and like lightning bolted her. He could have put on his pastor hat and said, you need to repent of your sin. He could have put on his theologian hat and said, you know what, you're going to hell, right? He could have done all that stuff. But first he puts on his friend hat. He says, yeah, 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 we can, we can kill this girl. She's sinned, but why don't we have whoever in this room has not sinned? Why don't, why don't you throw the first rock? And all the religious leaders are like, well, and I've sinned. I don't want to say that I haven't sinned. And so they all start leaving. And then left with this woman is the only man in the room who actually could throw the rock. Right? He's the only one who had never sinned, who had the authority based on his conversation with them to throw the first stone. But does he throw it? No. Jesus looks at this woman and says, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. He says, then neither do I accuse you. Go and leave your life of sin. He brings the God hat. He has the authority to smite her, chooses not to, acts long-suffering, dispenses mercy and grace, confronts her and says, leave your sin, now you're dismissed. And she walks away with life, with healing, with restoration of soul. And even Jesus, who wore the God hat and the pastor hat, the theologian hat, the confronter hat, he started with the friend hat. And I think we can too. And so if you get the call to go to the hospital, you get the text to come and visit, or your kid shows up looking downtrodden, there's a time and a place to spiritualize and theologize and pasteurize and I'm out of eyes. <laughs> but there's also a time and a place to be a friend, a comforter. And the beautiful thing is though, even though we feel unequipped to, to do all those other things, we, we are equipped to be a friend. We are a friend to bring comfort. We are equipped to bring comfort. You don't need training to sit there. So let this stay on your mind when you get that call and you're wondering about what to say. Don't, don't think about the words. Think about your friendship and your love and your presence and pray that it, when it becomes time to speak, God can give you words that will be life-giving and healing to them in their time of need.